The following message is copyrighted by Westminster Theological Seminary. Duplication, distribution, or other use of all or any part of this message is not permitted without prior written consent. Please direct your inquiries to communications at wts.edu. For all other information, please visit the main website at www.wts.edu. I have four areas that I want to cover today in in some sort of way, probably not in as much depth as we should, but one of them is uh, the whole area of the physician-patient relationship, going back to what the physician does um, and what the physician's position is in the life of the patient. Um, Second and related issue is the problem of confidentiality. Uh, The third question is, what is the pastor's role and the church's role? And then the fourth gets us into um, more of the reading that we did about um, mental health, psychiatry, and the relationship between psychiatric care and and other health care. So um, let's just start with some considerations about the physician-patient relationship. Um, And I think it needs to be said, of course, first, that we have a society in which um, we have have seen a lot of danger in uh, dependent relationships. We talk about codependency. And um, we uh, have abuses that are clear. And, um, of course, you then have to... um, deal with those abuses and, and, and answer them. At the same time, um, we have another danger in our society which seems contradictory, and that is that medicine is apparently becoming more and more impersonal and technological, and there are people who um, regret the old days uh, where you had the family doctor. I certainly remember we had a family doctor, um, and he's still alive, and we still correspond with him. And whenever I was sick or my brother was sick, he came to the house. And, uh, and then he'd stay for drinks with my parents. He'd always come to us as the last call of the day. You know? And this uh, is just not done anymore. I suppose it is in the country somewhere. But this was in the city of Paris, one of the biggest cities in the world. And um, so what, what is at stake here? Um, And I think a couple of points are often raised when you're talking about this apparent contradiction. Um, First, technology can lead, indeed, to a depersonalized relationship, and the patient simply becomes a case. But second, um, the new technology that gives doctors um, power to cure disease also gives them the ability to control patients, and they argue that we have to be protected from that kind of power uh, or else it'll be used for abuse. And in answer to the power abuse question, some think that physicians and patients should understand themselves as as being completely independent, uh, each being free to enter or to leave the relationship. In that way, recognition of the patient's freedom 
would be a kind of constraint on the on the physician's power, uh, and would would boost the patient's own power. And we talk about empowerment. So there's empowerment of the patient these days. Um, and as the two uh, come to each other with increasing equality, um, then the problems ought to be ameliorated. Others who would be critical of this view um, would point out that that's false to the reality of what's happening when somebody is sick and when a doctor is needed. Um, in a sense, sickness means you are not free. In fact, illness um, is experienced, uh, at least at first, as a lack of freedom. You know, you may be uh, bedridden or you may be not free to operate or to be comfortable or, or, or whatever, even when we have a cold. We talk about having a cold like being a slave to something, and, and, and in a sense we are. Um, and the physician, these people would also point out, um, is trying to um, restore that patient to freedom by helping to cure the, the illness. Um, so, um, the issue of the authority of the physician is a, is a crucial one, of course, and partly what is at stake is what is the nature of that authority? What is the physician's role? Um, what kind of authority uh, does, this, uh, does, the, does the, uh, the physician have? And let me give you a couple of schools of thought on this, and then we should discuss what we think is right. Um, one school of thought, and this is advanced particularly by um, Edmund Pellegrino, who is head of medical ethics at American University in Washington. And he, with a, um, a man named Thomasma, T-H-O-M-A-S-M-A, Pellegrino and Thomasma, um, have written a book called A Philosophical Basis of medical, of medical Practice, A Philosophical Basis of Medical Practice, Oxford University, 1981. These um, have basically set forth the idea of a doctor as a teacher. Of course, there's a lot more involved. Um, they uh, give an account in which they conclude that medicine as medicine is a process aimed at an action taken in the interest of a specific patient. Its chief aim is not the discovery of laws of nature. Um, the end of medicine, or its justifying principle, is in the final analysis a moral one, the good of a person seeking help. And that's from, uh, from this same book here, page. 147. Um, and Pellegrino and Thomasma um, are therefore saying that medicine is more than a science and it's even more than an art. Of course, that's the traditional Greek view that it's an art, the art of healing. Um, but it is a kind of virtue. Um, and they say that what makes medicine to be its, its own field is the um, the, the accumulated wisdom of judgments 
and well-reasoned arguments about the capacity to act with regard to things that are good or bad for human beings. Um, and so health is a good, and it follows that medicine must be a virtue. A virtue um, must make right choices about the ends and purposes for which the decisions and actions are produced. Um, medicine not only it must perform well, but it must act well, and it must choose what should be done to heal a, a particular um, whose good is the true end of the whole activity. Now, this may seem a strange claim in a way, um, or an odd one, um, because um, you wonder whether you're not getting close over to the area of religion and of, of, of moral teaching and so forth. Um, Pellegrino and Thomasma, um, in saying that medicine is a virtue, mean that it is a relation. Um, and that relation is subject to virtuous formation. Um, but all virtue requires formation through some kind of practical judgment shaped by uh, the wisdom of a community's translation. So medicine is a virtue insofar as it is uh, the name of a tradition of wisdom concerning good care of the body. Um, it's, it's not a means to health, but rather part of the activity of health. Um, and that involves the participation of a number of people, including the patient. You take your medicine, because you're supposed to, and if you don't, you're really not participating in this project. Um, another thing that uh, they, they point out um, is that while health is a normative category, um, it, it goes way beyond being normative. Um, so that doesn't mean simply that medicine involves values in decisions about how to care for patients. Um, but medicine is an activity which requires and enhances a virtuous life. In, in this way, the, the doctor is not the only participant, um, but medicine, as medicine, is a relation that involves the patient, the physician, and some other actors. Now, they don't stress this, but I think I would uh, stress that um, there are various other actors in the situation. Often. Your family is an actor. Now, for adults, that may be a little bit less so, but it can be quite intensely so, depending on the nature of the, of the illness. Um, you know, when I'm sick, my wife has to do certain things that um, she wouldn't ordinarily do, and, and vice versa. Um, and when your children are sick, of course, um, you become very much involved in that. And then, um, if you are sick for any prolonged period of time, in a sense, there are other agents involved. Um, and I don't want to stretch the point too much, but you have to think of the implications uh, at work. You know, you've, if you miss work, somebody's got to pitch in for you and take over. And then so the work people are going to be rooting for your, your cure in whatever way it, it, it's going to happen. Um, and, of course, um, insurance is going to be an agent um, in the sense that they, uh, of course, protect the, the sick person, but they also... Um, will not indiscriminately protect any claims to sickness. They, um, 
they have a whole structure in place to make sure that you really are sick and that you're getting the best care. Um, now, um, the patient, of course, um, is one part of this whole body, and he's the most, Im or she is the most important part. Um, perhaps the best way to think about a medical relation is to see it as an educational process, both for doctor and patient, in which each is, in a sense, teacher and learner. Now, I don't want to stress this too much because you can twist things, but um, the patient and the physician learns the wisdom of the body and back of that, the wisdom of the Lord in bringing about um, healing. I think I've told you about the Catholic doctor I worked with in Greenwich when I was on the health um, association, Greenwich Health Association there, who used to say that the physician only assists or, or clears the way for God to heal the body. And that might be a little bit exaggerated, um, but um, there's some truth to that. Um, the form and the practice of medicine change throughout history and differs from one culture to another. Uh, but uh, these differences, of course, are merely reflections of the different attitude towards the body and are regulated finally by the body and by the Lord behind that body. Um, Pellegrino and Thomasma again say that the body is not just a straightforward, simple category. Um, each person is not some sort of physical body, but uh, an anima, a live body, um, which organizes a, a whole field of perceptions in addition to being the subject of uh, experiences. Um, so the body, the, the task of medicine is to aid the process of the healing of the total body. Um, and next week, I hope we will um, have some time to, to consider some of the alternative medicines, uh, which I'd like to do with you, which have a very different conception of how the body works. Um, I'm thinking of homeopathy and perhaps acupuncture and, and other forms of, uh, of medicine. And um, um, in, in, in those uh, approaches, they're even more aware of the diversity and the complexity of the body than perhaps our Western medicine tends to be. Though um, there are problems with some of that as well. Um, now, another point, so in, in that sense, if you will, the, the, the physician is a, is a kind of teacher, but a, a teacher whose role is to, um, to produce virtue and the good. Um, now, this sounds odd because we think of medicine as so purely technical, but I think if we think carefully about it, it really isn't purely technical. Um, a, an excellent technician is absolutely necessary in, uh, in medicine. But we all know that if you're an excellent technician but you have no bedside manners, um, but more seriously, if you have no art or no ability to teach, um, you're, you're not much more than just a lab worker. 
who knows a few tricks. Um, whereas I think it's important, at least in a Christian concept, to have the ideal of a, of a doctor as someone who um, is uh, dealing with the disease, but also with um, healing, which restores the, the sick to, to total health. Um, and that means that going way beyond uh, simply technique. Um, medicine is also an educational process uh, because it, it, sh it, uh, it says that the physician is a kind of arbitrator between patient and body. Um, and uh, the, the idea is that to give the patient um, the kind of self-awareness and even to some degree control that the patient didn't know he or she had. And that again is a feature of, of non-Western medicines as well um, um, in, in different degrees. You have a type of control of your body, which um, in, in some ways are very unorthodox as, as far as our traditions are concerned. In, in homeopathy, for example, you're, you're trying to control the body as it resists um, disease by creating a small amount of the disease and, and increasing the body's own abilities to fight it. Um, and their criticism of Western medicine is that it, it violates the body, which I think is, is a is only uh, partly true. Has you know, there are problems in that? But anyway, um, there is this uh, teaching aspect because the the physician helps um, the patient to sort of manage the body. And if this is true, again, medicine is a learned profession because it literally learns the skills necessary to accept. Uh, the, the possibilities, but of course the limits of the body. Um, it's a tradition uh, which has all of the skills of care um, at its fingertips, but also um, needs to acquire um, uh, the ability to listen and to, and to, uh, to learn. And in a way, I think the best doctors take each case as a, as a new learning experience. Obviously, each case has patterns that resemble other cases, but every case is new and is not only an opportunity to try what your wisdom tells you is needed, but to learn what might be needed that your wisdom uh, can only ferret out because it hasn't come up before. Um, it's a, medicine is, is therefore a, a learned profession because of that. It's a profession um, because it's learned how to teach and initiate new agents into this tradition and even to govern uh, the practice of, of their skill. Um, this is, of course, true of other professions. I mean, that's, it's obviously true of law to some extent. And it's true of, you know, artists. You can go to music school and learn how to uh, acquire the skills of a conductor, but each concert, each rehearsal is different. And um, you're going to learn from your choir that you're working with things that you 
just couldn't know uh, by by, by uh, what you've learned in a, in a book. So, in a way, then, uh, medicine is a kind of community formed by an authority, and um, people are participants in this community, um, and the doctor becomes the kind of authority who learns, and whose learning is fundamentally a moral training, because the skills are of a kind that can be mastered only by watching a master perform, and in turn uh, doing it your, yourself. Um, specialization uh, would be more like the calling of some members of a community to become um, f physicians in one area can be justified because the community may need to have some of its members committed to practicing the wisdom of the body. And um, this uh, calling is required and justified because um, we need to learn new things about various parts of the body all the time in order to, f to p feed into the pool of the community. Um, and in a way, this knowledge and these skills are not universal truths uh, that can be known by just anybody, but they're matters of learned judgment, which only can happen in a, in a, in a tradition and under the guidance of, 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 of authority. Now, um, if, you want to, uh, if you want to put this uh, in, in, a, in a different way, medicine, um, which assumes that its first task is educational, or educative, uh, will, will be a kind of community which is almost like a, a sectarian community um, in a pluralistic society. Um, it has some parallels, though it obviously falls down, to, to the church's role. And uh, you can see in saying this, I have a, a, a Kuyperian bias. Um, Kuyper believed that society was organized in terms of spheres of sovereignty. and. Um, though I think it's pointless to play around with the numbers of spheres and try to determine how many there are and so forth. The, the concept of sphere sovereignty I think is very helpful. Um, and in a, a, a society that has many spheres, um, the medical profession um, becomes a kind of sphere with its own covenant um, and um, it ha its own sovereignty. It also comes with its own fallibility, um, and that's something I think important to realize. Um, uh, physicians, while they learn a great deal more about the functioning of the body than uh, m most anyone else in our society, uh, realize, of course, how, um, how fragile some of that knowledge is. Um, good care of patients, as a matter of fact, as well as good science, uh, in part depends on being willing to expose what doesn't work, and uh, as well as what does work. Um, in a in one way, uh, failure can be more important than success. Like if you're doing diagnosis, um, uh, you eliminate this and that and the other, and you try things. And the process of isolation is one of the key 
secrets to, to, good, uh, to good medical practice. Um, obviously, this can be disquieting to the patient if the patient wrongly sees the doctor as a savior. And I would suggest that in our modern American society, we have fallen into this trap uh, quite a bit. Um, we, uh, we have come to expect of the medical profession in general and of the physician in particular a kind of um, sa savior that's got to have the cure. Um, and um, I think this is a, a big error um, because, um, um, well, for Christians, obviously, there is only one Savior, and that's our Lord. And secondly, um, I think we uh, come to expect of the expert in every field to bring us to a place where only um, Christian faith followed by the Christian life can, can bring us. And when I said that medicine is a virtue leading to the good, um, I think that is to be understood in the context of the good of being a Christian. Um, we live in a, a society which is based at least in part on the 18th century rationalism that says reason um, can get us through anything. Um, and we, we live, therefore, in a, a society which is very reflexive, very, very self-reflexive. Um, part of that's good. It means that we don't do anything without analyzing it, as it were. Um, and many, many things become the subject of our, of our ref reflection and our rational thinking, and uh, that, that, of course, is, is perfectly all right. The danger is that when we begin to realize that there's no way that reason can cover everything, we then slip into a kind of trust, um, a trust that can become exaggerated, um, a trust in things that should work and in people that should know what they're doing. Um, take, I don't know, a couple of areas. I mean, a very simple illustration of this would be the automobile. Um, it's supposed to work. <laughs> it's supposed to get us from home to work and from work back to home and so forth. Um, and when it doesn't, um, we become very frustrated because it, uh, it's meant to go. Now, our, we don't understand, most of us, unless you happen to be a car buff, we don't understand the inner mechanics of the thing. I once took a, a I led a group of students at, at the high school where I used to teach to an auto mechanics course. And uh, I volunteered to be the supervisor because I wanted to learn as much as I could. And it was fascinating. We had a semester at the, uh, this local um, uh, Volkswagen shop and, and uh, they had a wonderful mechanic there who was very good with kids and so forth. After a semester, I, I learned enough to know that I, I didn't know anything about a car and shouldn't mess with one, you know. I mean, I can change the oil and I, I could do a little more than that, but um, I realized that I, I simply had to, to trust in the, in, in the car. And then 
when it went wrong, you, you, have, you trust in the mechanic. Now, this is a very poor analogy because cars are not like the body. They're, they're much more simple. But uh, when you get, send your car to the shop and it gets fixed and then it breaks down a day later, you get incredibly frustrated because those people are supposed to know. Um, money is another illustration of this. Um, our, our rationalized, reflexive society means that we have uh, rationalized the process of, inter of exchange, uh, financial market um, investment exchanges. Um, however, um, as we all know, um, there's elements of huge uncertainty there. Uh, money itself is a kind of rationalization. But then we have built up a kind of economic system where many, many factors intervene over which we really have no control. And Friday, the stock market went down 120 points. Uh, yesterday, it went up 30 or something. And um, we just, we have no control. I mean, the stock market can go up and down over um, emotional reasons, and, and um, but no, none of them can be really properly analyzed. Of course, if you could predict it, you'd have a lot of very wealthy people around because they know what they were doing. Um, so in, our trust is, is disappointed. And then, in our frustration, uh, we take out our anger in different ways. One of the classic ways, of course, is to sue. That's what we like to do in America. Um, and um, we uh, have a huge um, malpractice tradition here in America. And um, I, I, I think, on the whole, it's probably very misplaced. Sure, you can find examples of quacks. There's always there's quacks in every profession, and there ought to be protection against them. But um, um, we just can't uh, trust medicine to the extent that it's going to be the savior. Um, as a matter of fact, I would say that medicine, as a profession, can only survive or exist um, because it is supported by the other spheres of society, which share many of the same convictions. Um, a society that, um, for example, must not suppose that the task of medicine is to keep illness and death at bay if such a task is an end in itself. Rather, the, the, uh, the, the community, the other spheres, um, uh, should recognize that medicine involves skills which allows the members to continue pursuing the good of the community. That's, that's what the society should believe. Um, and these, of course, are going to be offset by uh, the people who get sick, um, and obviously by people who die. Um, but, but fallible medicine is sustained uh, because it serves the common good, but also because the, the, the whole community believes in the necessity of that particular service. If you don't have that community, um, medicine takes the form of a kind of contract between the patient and the, and the doctor. And contracts are often a substitute, a moral substitute, for our lack of a shared tradition. And again, going back to the malpractice suit, I think that you could argue that another reason for the plethora of, of 
pursuits injustice of, of doctors is because we don't share the same moral goals and without that we don't have a sense that doctors as well as auto mechanics are fallible and then in its place we go to contract. Um, I'm not saying that's all there is to it but very often going to contract is a um, a substitute for commonly shared convictions. Um, we all know that in a totalitarian society where the convictions of the society are at odds with the convictions of the government, the government's only recourse is, is force and legal uh, structure that keeps people at bay. Um, and so um, you don't want to isolate the problems of medicine from the problems of the society at, uh, as, as a whole. And I would say that um, instead of solving this problem by giving the patient more rights and more autonomy, though there's, there was a necessary redress of that since the 50s and 60s, um, instead of doing that, the the community needs to be educated as to what the proper goals are. And the physician may have a role in this, but other people do as well. And um, that's, of course, what, what I believe is where the church comes in. Um, the, uh, the false expectations and the distorted forms of authority or contract that come in to replace that, I think, can only be um, um, dismantled and, um, and, and the problem can only be solved um, when the church is faithfully preaching the gospel and people are coming to understand uh, what true virtue is and, what the, what, and, the, and the realism of a fallen world as well. Um, when Francis Schaeffer became ill with cancer, he... Um, of course, got a lot of letters and phone calls. Some of them were from very pietistic Christians who said, well, you really shouldn't be sick because it just shows that your, your faith is weak and so on. One of the more cruel things you can do to somebody. Well, he has a, had a solid enough reformed theology, so he knew not to listen to that stuff. And he would tell them that in, um, in the theology of the fall, you have um, an expectation of substantial progress in moral areas, but not of perfect uh, moral uh, health, and certainly not perfect physical health. Um, and the church, I think, uh, needs to, uh, to teach that. Alasdair MacIntyre, um, who's a very prominent modern ethicist, uh, says that one strategy uh, to implement in order to break the, the cycle of, of this um, false expectations and, and then contract uh, imprisonment is those with whom one does share sufficient beliefs to rescue and recreate authority within communities that will break with the pluralist uh, ethos are, are the ones with whom we should work. So we should work with those um, with whom you do share sufficient beliefs. And in medicine, that means 
working for a variety of new forms of medical community, each with its own shared moral allegiance. Uh, and with that, the idea of authority could begin to find a context and a content. Uh, and he says that this also might have the unaffected, unexpected effect of aiding the help in understanding the relationship between religious and medical communities. Um, the ability of a community to sustain a fallible medicine, a medicine that understands its main task to be mediating between us and our, our, the, the body or the healing process, does depend on convictions about good. And that puts medicine in a larger framework. Um, and when the society believes that these goods are real and exist because of transcendental reasons, then medicine is free to uh, bring its agency uh, to bear. Um, so this is a kind of roundabout way of, of answering the question of what is the doctor's authority. Uh, but I, I think it's a, it's a helpful way. And um, I think perhaps um, I'll just stop there. We have five more minutes till the break and, and ask if anybody would like to make a comment on this. Um, Well, I'm, I'm suggesting that first, if the community has prophetic elements like the church, which teach the community not to expect infallibility, that's a first step. Um, and then secondly, um, I think that a community which believes in the good, and the Christian good would be what I would plead for, of course, um, then medicine will also be, be harnessed in its task of continuing the tradition of virtue and therefore um, though it's fallible and always will be um, it'll, have, it'll continue to have the chance to develop helpful uh, um, cures let me give you an example of a, of, a, of a problem in this area, and I, I'm not sure I have all my views uh, straightened out on it, but the example I'm thinking of, of course, is AIDS. Now, a, an increasing number of people are falling prey to AIDS. We, we, you know, we've all been shocked by uh, Magic Johnson and, and other, there be others like this, revelations all the time, uh, of people that you might expect and then of people you just would never expect. As a matter of fact, the uh, risk group that he belongs to is only uh, about a little over 2% of the people who get HIV, um, and that is the heterosexual. Um, and therefore, um, because I think our society is, is very scared about this, but also because our society um, wants to protect the rights of the minority groups, the risk groups involved, the gay community and so on, especially the gay community. A huge and perhaps disproportionate amount of funding is being provided um, for uh, retrovirus um, uh, research. Um, and it's all the more frustrating because we can't find a cure. We've gotten We've crept up on some things that prolong the uh, AIDS uh, infection 
from hitting you uh, when you have HIV, but as far as we know, uh, HIV is always fatal. And um, now you could raise the question, uh, is this a just apportionment of, of funds when, as a matter of fact, statistically, more people die of heart disease and of a number of other things, cancer, of course. Um, and you can argue, I say my convictions aren't, aren't clear on this, because you can argue it both ways. On the one hand, you could say, well, of course, that's, it's all out of whack. We ought to be in, in a just society teaching the virtue of helping everyone's disease. Um, my aunt died of a very, very odd uh, and fairly rare, but not completely obscure disease called scleroderma. And um, I think between 100 and 150,000 Americans have it. So it's not, it's not rare, but it's, it's not a great, it's not a big number. And uh, we were very frustrated because me medical science just hadn't much wisdom on this. They had a few things, but, and I guess one of the main reasons is that research just hasn't been uh, concentrating on, on scleroderma. It's just, and we were told by a number of, of scientists that the funding and the action is um, with the retrovirus research and not with uh, scleroderma type of, of, of virus. Uh, so you, that seems to me unfair. On the other hand, there are some odd side effects which may be an effect of common grace, and that is that although we have not found a cure for AIDS, we have learned so much about retrovirus and uh, T4 immunity and so forth that um, several diseases which involve uh, a whole category of viruses um, have been um, uh, hand managed uh, much more than we could ever imagine, plus the stimulation or the stimulus of research in any area tends to spill over to other areas. Um, you know, like in our church, uh, we're built, putting up this big new building and, um, and there's been this big fund campaign, you know, and a lot of um, thermometers up. And I asked the pastor whether the, um, the, fund, the fundraising for this building had drained the operating budget. And he said, not at all, it's increased it because people are in a giving mode. Um, and the same things happen with uh, HIV research, though it's very technical and narrow. Um, the uh, sort of zeal to come to some answers about the, these viruses has, um, has spread, as it were. And so uh, there has been a stimulus to other things. So that's a very roundabout way of answering your question, but I'd say that the, I, I think I completely agree with uh, the, the, the trend in, with McIntyre and Pellegrino and others who are saying that the community in all of its spheres has to function organically if medicine is going to advance and not simply, and if medicine is not going to be a victim of the cycle of expectation, broken expectation, authority, uh, which I think is, uh, is an ever-present danger. Uh -huh. In a way, because no one is willing to say, I don't know, or we don't know. It's sort of pride there, huh? And so medicine has given the image that 
it can solve right. almost anything. Right. So when something is out of their reach and they can't deal with it, yeah. then our expectations are like that. Yeah. And you think medicine has set itself up? Okay. Well, I don't know if they've set themselves up. Yeah. I'm sure it's a combination of society's expectations. Yeah. Involuntary, but it's there. Yeah. Yeah. The the image is there, and and, and where there's smoke, there's fire. So I guess that image is it has some truth to it. All right. Well, let's take a break here, and we'll come back and talk about confidentiality.